everybody, and welcome to this edition of the What's Next Live podcast, webinar, streaming, however you're joining us. And I'm thrilled to welcome my friend, Dory Clark, who is firing on all cylinders. She just finished the webinar and said, I am ready to be here. So thank you for joining us today, Dory. Tiffany, thank you. It is always super energizing hanging out with you. So thanks for having me on your show. Of course. And for those of you who don't know who Dory is, let me give you a quick little bio. So Dory has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers. We were just having this conversation in the world. By like Tiffany, like <laughs> Tiffany, like Dory, and was recognized as the number one communications coach in the world by Marshall Goldsmith, leading a global coaches award. She is a consultant, keynote speaker, teaches executive ed at Duke University and Columbia Business School. And she is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Long Game, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out. Four of them, way to go, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. This is fascinating about her, a former presidential campaign spokeswoman, like why she's such a good communicator. Clark has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. Welcome, Dory. Tiffany, thank you so much. Well, let's start with the new book because I was so excited. You reached out, you know, ahead of it launching and said, hey, let's get together and have another conversation. And I couldn't book myself in your crazy schedule. So we finally have found a time where we can get together and have a conversation. Um, but I think it's so timely, right? Thinking about the long game when so many people over the last 20 months uh, have been heads down thinking about the short game today, tomorrow. So, you know, I know this launched during uh, this crazy time, but, but what have you found? What was the genesis of it? I guess let's start there. And then what have you found since, you know, it's been on its, I think, third week birthday or something? Yes, it, it is indeed a relatively new baby in the world. <laughs> so I think one of the most important elements of the long game is it's not that short-term thinking is bad, right? I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to like diss short-term thinking because during the pandemic, we needed it. We had to do short-term thinking. It's a good skill to have in a crisis, right? You have to pivot. You have to say, all right, what's coming at me? How do I deal with it? How do I, how do I adapt in the moment? That's great. The problem comes when we forget how to do anything else because fundamentally short-term thinking is great in the short term. But if all you're doing is responding to stimuli, you are probably not going to be able to set a very effective proactive agenda. You're just kind of, you know, yep. dealing with stuff. You end up where you end up. Most of us, for, whether we're talking about for our companies or for ourselves, for our lives, for our careers, we actually do have goals. We do have things we would like to accomplish. And it is very, very hard to do that in a systematic way in the absence of long-term thinking. So I think for me, part of the case that I want to make is that the last, you know, 18 months was a time when we were over-indexing on short-term thinking. Now right. I think it's it's time to really tip the scales in the other direction. We need to over-index on long-term thinking so we can get back to it and setting our own agenda rather than letting COVID set it for us. Yeah. And I think it, it takes a special kind of person because sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees, right? You know, I, I think of myself as a long-term thinker, but Boy, there were days and weeks and months where I found myself just looking right here. I couldn't see out the other side of it. And, and it was impactful to the work I was doing and the advice I was giving as well, the energy I had day in and day out. I think if you get caught in that 
short-term-ism, if that's a term, uh, that you don't feel like there's something bigger affront. And so, you know, what do you tell people who might get caught in that day-to-day to really help them overcome that and, and try to find a way to weave a little more long-term into their thinking? Yeah. Well, certainly whoever is getting caught in short-term thinking, you are not alone. Yes. Uh, part, of, part of the problem that we're dealing with fundamentally is short-term thinking is actually how humans operate under normal circumstances. This is not like some freak occurrence. It's how we're wired that it is a lot better. It feels a lot better to us. If we want a thing, why not have the thing now? Um, but that being said, we also have the ability to get better. We have the ability to train ourselves. The part of the, the famous marshmallow study that doesn't really get talked about a lot, you know, this is the, the, the one with the kids and did they wait for the marshmallow or not? The part that doesn't get talked about a lot is it's not that we are permanently one way or the other, you know, where we like, oh, we just can't resist. Or, you know, you're some sort of saint that can that can be patient. There are strategies that even little kids can learn that enable them to get better at waiting. And that is true for us too. We can reorient ourselves. So even if in a particular moment, you know, we're feeling under pressure, um, that's real, but also there's the opportunity for, for change and for shifting that narrative. Yeah. And I think that that is all about this ability to be more self-aware of kind of what and how you're feeling and what's causing that. I mean, I think, you know, you, you have done such a good job around this self-reinvention, right? It's kind of reinventing yourself and how do you stand out? And and if you think about that, it's almost like you you may have to rework some things about yourself to to, to be able to reorient. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I think that the good news is there's not exactly a constituency that is anti long-term thinking. You know, most most people are actually, you know, almost unanimously studies show think that long-term thinking is a good thing, right? This is a worthy goal to aspire to that most people want to do. The problem is in the execution. And so part of what I tackle in the long game, this is literally the first third of the book in fact because I think it's so important, is that it's not that we don't want to do long-term thinking, it's that stuff gets in the way. And so how can we prevent it from getting in the way? So what I suggest is that we really need to reorient ourselves toward creating more white space in our lives and in our calendars, because it's not that it takes a huge amount of time to do long-term thinking, but what we really need is mental space. And that involves, frankly, just having fewer obligations, less things on the calendar so that we are able to use those interstitial moments not to be freaking out about all the things we're not doing, but instead to actually ask some basic but very important questions about the direction that we want our life to go in. Yeah. And so I I, I highly recommend that white space in the calendar. Like, you know, I, I found myself kind of May, June, July, August of last year overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed and I didn't think I could get any busier. <laughs> and all of a sudden I went, holy cow, I'm busier. How's that possible? And so I started taking half hour blocks in the morning or hour blocks or afternoons off. And, and even I work at Salesforce and, and we did um, Fridays would be a well-being day once a month. And we would have Thursday, no meeting days. And we, they would actually change the meeting invites to not be full half hours, like 20 minutes or 50 minutes instead of a full hour, you know, to give you just those moments. So it's not back to back to back to back. And those little things started to actually give me a little breathing room. So that's a great exercise 
exercise uh, for an individual contributor. Um, what do you think? Well, and also managers and leaders, obviously, right? But there's a difference between playing this long game and having a short game for I'm an individual contributor. I might be a manager of a small team. I'd be, be a manager of a bigger team and I might be an executive. Like those are views are very different. And how do you get I'm just talking about work here, not from a personal perspective, individual contributors to have a career long-term thinking mixed in with their day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Well, it it is really essential for people at all level, uh, at all levels. I mean, one of the things that I often get called in for, I know you and I both have uh, a sort of fairly significant sideline in keynote speaking, um, you know, at least when there's not pandemics intervening. And uh, and oftentimes a use case that I get called in to talk about is for, you know, for things like career week at, uh, at companies, because so often what I hear from companies is we don't really have, or, you know, at least anymore, uh, an established career path for people. They kind of have to find their own way. And yet people don't necessarily know this. They don't appreciate what that means. And they're confused because they keep going to their boss and they're like, um, why am I not getting promoted? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> and the company's like, um, sorry, look, you're going to have to sort of drive this train yourself. It's not like there's an escalator anymore where, you know, every two years you get, you know, the extra thing. And so I think that close sort of closing that gap and uncovering and talking about that disconnect is really important because people need to know you are the captain of your own ship now. And if you want to be moving forward or, uh, you know, doing lateral moves and things like that, the good news is that way more things are possible now in terms of career tracks than they ever were. If you're like, yeah, you know, I want to be doing blah, blah, blah in China, like probably you can, but you need to be the one raising your hand, connecting with people, asking about it, finding your pathway into it. And it involves a level of proactivity that sometimes a lot of people, they're certainly not trained for, they're not used to it. But once you do embrace it, it actually is incredibly empowering. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I did a vision board, you know, I sort of got a piece and I said, what do I want to do? And then how do it's the how. And so, you know, you were one of the few people, there was a handful, like originally when I went, said, I want to write a book, like go ask people who've written a book. Like, how do I do this? What do you think? What should I do? What's the process? What little things could you help me do that I wouldn't have to learn the hard way, right? And so I think there's a lot in the power of your network. And if you don't have a network yet, it's how do you create that? You know, you start contributing to things, you know, joining associations or groups so that they can also help you learn in this kind of critical thinking and also career planning. But I'd say more than ever, this is a time where people have to figure out how do I reskill, reinvent myself, look for new ways to add value. And so, you know, I think that starts with understanding uh, what I like to call knowing what your superpowers are, right? Knowing what your superpowers are and then how do you make that a long game play? Yeah, I love that. I think I think that's that's right on, Tiffany. You know, I, I asked you this at the beginning and you kind of gave me the before we got on. So I said, I, this is what I'm thinking about, because you, you've been on this talking about the book for a minute. But now, it, was there anything that surprised you where people went, oh, this was so the missing piece of this, or I hadn't thought about it that way, or this really gave me clarity around whatever that is, because I think that's the that's the reason people like you and I do what we do. It's that moment of clarity you're able to provide somebody. Yeah. Well, I'll say that one area that has gotten a 
perhaps disproportionate response where people have have talked about it and asked questions about it is a concept that uh, that I share in the long game called optimize for interesting. And it's basically a, a, a philosophy that I share about, you know, how how we make life choices. The, the context about this is years ago, I was a director on a documentary film called Marion Stoddard, The Work of a Thousand. And it was about this woman who was a, she, you know, she was a, a housewife in the 1960s. And she ended up leading the cleanup uh, in the 60s of one of America's most polluted rivers. And so it was like a kind of, you know, environmental biopic, basically. <laughs> And we interviewed her and talked about her background, her upbringing. And she, she gave this anecdote where she said that when she was out the door on the way heading to college, her mother's last words to her, like the final advice was, whenever you have a chance of, you know, a choice of what to do, make sure that you choose the more interesting option. And I thought that was great advice. But I also think that in many ways, for me, what it represents is a kind of powerful antidote to the cult of follow your passion because there's so much emphasis like, Oh, you know, what's your passion? What? You don't know what your passion is. I call it passion shaming. <laughs> and ultimately I think if we lower the bar and we just say, you know what? Like you don't have to know what your passion is. Do something interesting. And then guess what? You know, if, if it stops being interesting, you don't have to do it. You could do something else. Like for me, that's a more sane and a more humane way of understanding what our next step in the journey should be. I, I love that. It's a simple phrase, right? And I, and I think we all innately want interesting work. And when it's not interesting, we're not interested. You just, you're not, right? So even as a human showing up, to meet someone, a new client, interviewing for a job, asking your boss for a raise, like, you know, starting a business, like you have to be interesting if you want people to be interested, you know? So it's kind of plays both ways. I think that's a fantastic, quick little example. I, I know you use, and you talk to a lot of people in the book. Was there, was there a few stories that, you know, you felt like, oh, that was so good. Like, I'm so glad I captured that in this book. Oh man. Well, there, you know, there's, there's a lot, obviously it's hard to choose, but I would say, you know, one, one element that, um, one story that, that stands out, it's actually a, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, I believe, you know, uh, Alyssa Cohn, right? Yes. Yes. So, so Alyssa Cohn is a, a good friend. She actually just came out with a new book called from startup to grown up. And anyway, in the long game, I share a story about her, which I think is fantastic, about how she started to take rap lessons. <laughs> so wait, wait. Uh, okay, yeah. if you know who she is, that's awesome. Okay, keep going. Yes. <laughs> Alyssa is not necessarily who you would peg as taking rap lessons. She is uh, you know, an executive coach. And <laughs> she signs up for this class and she gets there in the first day, as you might imagine, she shows up and it's her and a bunch of 19 year old guys in hoodies who like all are excellent, excellent rappers. And she's like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not in the right place here. And so she sends this note afterwards to the instructor and she's like, I'm really sorry. I should drop out. This isn't the right, not the right place. And he sends her back this note, which she related to me. Uh, and, you know, frankly, it's like the epitome of wisdom. I love this story. Uh, he said to her, look, Alyssa, the goal is not to turn you into a rapper. The goal <laughs> is to turn you into a more creative and uninhibited person. 
And she read that and she thought, oh, wait, that is my goal, isn't it? I don't actually want to be a professional rapper. And she realized, all right, I need to go, you know, the, the only way out is through. And so she decided she would do it. So for two months, every week, she takes this rap class and she ends up performing just before COVID. It's like the last thing in New York before the city shuts down. She does this improv rap performance. Oh my God. Is it on film? Uh, that is not on film, but <laughs> Alyssa's rap video that she created, which I, which I actually helped film some of the scenes for, uh, is up on YouTube. If you want to search for it, Tiffany. Yes, oh my God, that is classic. But what that shows though, I've, I've heard people do improv classes as an example to sort of, you know, get a little out of your comfort zone and to feel more comfortable and, you know, just sort of find your creativity and laugh a little bit and loosen up. Right. But taking a, a you know, a class on being a rapper is just, that's such a fantastic story. But I think it also shows what another one of our, you know, friends, Whitney Johnson talks about a lot, which is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like you have to stretch yourself in order to find your way to whatever's going to be next. So the short game, the long game, the medium game, whatever, you know, whatever game you're playing. Ultimately, if you're not disrupting yourself, how do you expect to disrupt other things in your life? Right. It's but, it's so boom. true. Yeah. And I, I would love to hear Tiffany, your take about how, how long-term thinking ties in with, with your oove, with, with growth IQ and with some of the work that, that you've been, uh, that you've been percolating on lately as well. Well, Growth IQ really landed in one sentence that I felt like growth was a thinking game and that you could be able to outthink your competition if you couldn't outspend them, outhire them, out, you know, develop them, like all of those things. But you, where can you win is outthinking them, whether it's mental models or strategies or, you know, all those kinds of little things that play into that. But it was um, this dilemma of how do I deliver business today and revenue and growth while at the same time transforming the business? And sometimes that's kind of two mindsets, two muscles, two thinking processes. And it's hard to find executives that are able to do both and do both really well, which showed me that it was really uh, this kind of and I'd be interested to hear back from you is it has to be this team sort of effort. And so I don't know if you can get to growth without the team or a long game without the team, you know, and team may mean different things to different people, but I feel like uh, my short-term goal, I never could have imagined that it would lead me to what now my long-term goal is, right? Sometimes you just don't understand those small decisions and the intended or unintended consequences of them when you're, you know, sort of doing a vision board one day and saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be when I grow up, right? This is the impact I want to have. And then to start to see some of it come to fruition, I think that comes from a lot of internal long-term planning with kind of brushing off the short-term failures, which of course there always are a lot of. <laughs> yeah, you're you're so right, Tiffany. And in fact, the last the last third, the you know, the last part of the long game is actually a section that I call keeping the faith because I think this is so crucial. Whenever you're in any kind of a long-term endeavor, in, it's almost inevitable that there's going to be obstacles, failures, setbacks, gatekeepers, you know, you you name what whatever the impediment is. Um I mean, 
if we think about it rationally, if you're planning something, it's a five-year goal, a 10-year goal. I mean, is it really likely that you're going to be able to predict exactly how it's going to happen? Like probably not. And yet we are so surprised in the moment when it doesn't work out the way we want. And we feel like, oh my God, maybe it's not meant for me. Maybe I'm not good enough. No, that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is that this is almost inevitable that because of butterfly wings flapping or whatever, you can't predict how it is going to happen. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's somehow not foreordained for you to do it. It means you need to try another path and we need to be resilient enough to keep at it. I mean, maybe not like a thousand times, maybe that's a message, but you know, more than once, um, yes. Well, that's almost like how often you can ask executives, right? How often are they 100% correct? How often are executives 100% correct? Yeah, probably zero, I'm guessing. Yet they expect people who work for them to be 100% correct all the time, Mm -hmm. that there's no reward for this sort of failure, learn, iterate. You know, you either win or you learn. Like it isn't about the loss, right? It's about the learn. And so I think you nailed it that... I think the long game is also a little bit of building up that armor of, of becoming more self-confident and more you know, resilient individually. And some people are introverts or don't deal with rejection well or failure well. And so what's the, what's the sort of, you know, out of the book, right? The long game, if, if someone is a little more introverted or a little more insecure about failing or not looking like they know how to do something, but they are really trying to build that long-term, uh, long game mindset. What, what, what would you say to them? Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, the first is actually there, there is a coda at the end of the book, which talks about the, the three personality characteristics or the, you know, the three traits that I feel like are most essential in long-term thinking. And they are independence, curiosity and resilience. Now, resilience, I think, is probably self-evident, but independence and curiosity, I think that the reason that these are so crucial, independence is necessary because, first of all, we can't willy-nilly accept other people's judgments of us. I think where so many professionals go wrong is, you know, like one person turns you down, oh, you know, I guess they're right. I guess maybe I shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. No, they could be a freaking idiot. You know, we have to understand they might not be right. We have to we have to be independent enough to have that and also independent enough to cultivate our own goals rather than the goals that society just kind of shoves down our throat sometimes. Uh, if it turns out that your goals coincide with society's goals, great, but they might not always. So independence is necessary and curiosity because fundamentally we if we're able to, you know, see possibilities, if we're interested in life, if we're interested in the process, it keeps us going. Um, so I, I think those are the things that are necessary. I'll also just push back a little bit on the introvert thing. I'm an introvert. And I think sometimes people honestly use it as an excuse for things. No excuses, whether or not you're an introvert, that doesn't, I don't think that should play in in any way. Um, really, that's just about like, all right, you know, how do you, how do you sort of emotionally recharge from people or, or what have you? I think fundamentally, nobody likes failure, of course. Um, The biggest thing that we can do to, I would say, both recover from failure and frankly, never fail is to be diligent about making small bets. Because if a bet is small enough, literally failure is an inappropriate term for it. 
right? If you lose a dollar, have you failed? I don't think so. That would be a really weird thing to say. Nobody notices. Nobody cares. They would care if you lost a million dollars. And so the question is, how can you place as many $1 bets as possible so that you are able to then make smarter decisions about where you are going to go all in and put your chips on that table? Yeah. And Vegas is a great example. <laughs> down the dollar, give it a shot. Well, there's a couple co comments that I want to uh, share here. Um, so one of them uh, is from Pam. Uh, thanks, Pam, for joining and always being so supportive. So at work, not getting caught up on short-term dashboards and KPIs is a tricky obstacle. What would you say to Pam? Dory. Yeah, I mean Pam is Pam is not wrong. There is there's a mania around short-term dashboards and KPIs. That being said, I actually think for me, the bigger issue is are the the KPIs, and again, for for people not schooled in bizarre business lingo, that's key performance indicator. Uh, <laughs> I always I always find that such a such a weird term, but of course, it's one we all use. But anyway, so so the metrics that we're using here, um, there's a there's a reason that it was implemented, and that is theoretically they should be the ones that are guiding you down the path to long-term success. And so it's very ironic that following the short-term metrics would lead you in the wrong direction if they've been constructed with the goal of being, oh, let's track this so we can be successful in the long-term. So I think one question to ask, which is a very worthy one for any employee, is are the short-term KPIs actually aligned to our long-term <laughs> goals. Because if they are not, that is a much bigger problem. If they are, then actually hitting the short-term KPIs should be theoretically moving you in the direction of your long-term goals. So I think that alignment is kind of the thing to test there. Awesome. And, and I want to sort of give you some kudos here. Uh, Robin says, independence and curiosity, wonderful emphasis on these traits. Uh, and also uh, dollar bets. I love the idea of planting seeds. So, you know, obviously this is really, yes, resonating with people. And, and you know, I think ultimately what has been fantastic over the last 20 months is how much I've seen people lean into this beginner's mind, right, of Give, and you said it, you said sort of white space in the day, right? Giving yourself time and space to hear new ideas and think of new ways. And even if you take one note out of something like this, it was worth the time because we can make more money. We can't make more time. So if the time is going to, you know, add value to who you are and how you show up, how you manage, you know, how you behave in relationships and family and life and all of that, then it was a good use of 25 minutes, right? Because I think that ultimately... Um, it, it's something if you don't invest in yourself, why would anybody else, right? I mean, ultimately, that's kind of what it's all about. So, you know, as we bring this home, you know, what would you say to people um, that say, if I could do one thing, one thing, Monday morning, so it's Wednesday, I think today, who knows? I think it's Wednesday. Um, what could I do Monday morning, you know? I want to do one thing different, that $1 bet. What's that $1 bet Monday? I love it. All right. What's our, what's our $1 bet? This is fantastic. So I think the first, the very first thing is we, and I see here, you know, Robbie is writing in, she says, I'm working so hard to make more white space in my day. So here's my piece of advice. Let's see if we can buy ourselves 30 minutes. 
60 if we're lucky. And so I would say oftentimes, and this is especially true for corporate uh, denizens, but, but maybe for, you know, for many of us, look at your calendar. Is there something you can get out of? That is a great question to ask. How do we snatch back that time? And, you know, hopefully moving forward, even be more diligent, but unless you are very perfectly clear about why you need to be there, like, you know, literally you can email someone, you can ask, Oh, Hey, you know, remind me why, why do you need me at this meeting? Like what, what is it you're hoping I can contribute? And if their answer is like, well, it would just be good to have you there. Well, that's not good enough. Uh, and so you can push back on those things. Also, my favorite low hanging fruit hack is whenever someone comes to you with a request that is vague, Oh, Hey, Tiffany, can I grab 30 minutes on your calendar? And they don't say why we always, always, this is standard operating procedure right back and say, oh, great, I'd love to help you. What do you want to talk about? And you force them to specify an agenda because their idea, this is what I've learned from hard experience, their idea of what is worth 30 minutes of your time may be wildly different than yours. <laughs> so for those of you that are going to listen to this in the podcast after, there were air quotes, face movement, wildly was very accentuated because that is so true. Um, I was speaking with a CMO, uh, chief marketing officer the other day of a very large software company. And she literally was just like, I block these times in my calendar for, you know, and I color code what is what, and I actually do the same thing. So green for me is my color of, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do something that's, you know, sort of for me. Um, and then I have colors for, you know, keynotes, like I'm on camera, it's a phone call. It's, you know, those kinds of things. So very quickly, I can look at the week and go, wow, there's no green or wow, there is a lot of pink, <laughs> which means I'm doing a lot of talking this week. And you can start to see the balance of it. And so it's really helped me go, hold on a second. I have to take the afternoon off at least one of these days. I'm not going to have any second to sort of recharge. And she did a very similar thing and has four or five kids. And she's like, and I have to carve time out for kids, but I'm a C-suite executive in a Fortune 500 company. So not being available used to not be an option. But until I created those guardrails around my life and my calendar and my time, she goes, I've even missed executive offsites because I will not bend on those things because the second I bend then you bend all the time. So I think that that goes back to, uh, you know, taking control and color coding your calendar may seem really OCD, <laughs> but I love it, it, man. That's good. It, it really, really, really helps like colors for travel, colors for phone calls, color for team meetings, colors for, you know, when I have to be on camera colors and then very, you just really quickly, I could go week by week by week and see no wonder I'm tired. There was no green, right? Or yeah. boy, I'm feeling uninspired. I'm not having any conversations with people. Like, and so I really, it really changed things for me. So that's my $1. That's hack. good. That's my $1 hack. Thank All you, right. Man. Well, so how can people keep up with you? You're super prolific. You have your own webcast with uh, Newsweek that you do. You've got um, your writing, your books, you know, your speaking, but, but how can people stay in touch with you and your work, Dory? Yeah, thank you so much, Tiffany. Well, again, the uh, the new book, it's called The Long Game. And if folks are interested in that or the broader question of how to apply the lens of strategic thinking to their own life and career, I have a, a free resource, which is The Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And you can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. Awesome. Well, follow Dory on social. Anytime you get a chance to listen to her, I highly recommend it. She's 
warm and engaging and fun and funny and smart as a tack. So, you know, it has been a pleasure, Dory, as always, spending time with you. I am grateful for you, my friend, and for always supporting uh, me and, and my work. And, and I hope you feel I do the same for you. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody who's been chiming in with comments and questions across all the platforms. I appreciate you. Thank you all for joining us today on the What's Next Live. Thank you again, Dory. Thanks, Tiffany. Awesome to be here with you. Bye, everybody.